Well, hey, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Sound great? My name is John McLarnon. I'm the site pastor at our Cary Crossroads location. And so let me just welcome anybody who might be from Cary watching online or our Wake Forest campus or maybe someone who just stumbled across us on the web. Thanks for jumping in with us today. Let me just start by asking you a question. All right, you guys ready for this? Have you ever started something only to quit? All right, that's probably all of us in the room at some point, but I'm trying to think back to like, what's my earliest memory of that kind of thing? And um, I grew up, we had a, a, a piano in our living room and my sister was very accomplished at playing the piano. And sometimes I would find my way over there and I would pound out some things and I would pick up songs by ear. And I thought, this, I, I kind of like this. So I announced that I was ready to actually learn how to play the piano. And so I took my first lesson and then I quickly realized a couple of things. One is that um, you have to do a lot of practicing if you want to get good at the piano. And the songs that you practice, they're not like real songs. They don't even sound like anything very fun. And then the other thing is um, that not only do you have to put a lot of time in on this whole thing, but you have to do something called read music. I'm like, I don't even know what that's about. I don't. And so I, at the end of the first lesson, I announced to my teacher, who happened to be my mom, I crushed her, listen, I think I'm done with playing the piano. I quit, and here's why. It's, it's boring, and I'm, just, I'm not having any fun. Well, then I got to junior high, and I think about seventh grade, I got my first real job, like where I got paid, and somebody gave me a, a list of things to do. I delivered a newspaper. It was an ad, uh, an ad newspaper. It was called The Advantage, and every Wednesday, they would drop these newspapers off at my house, and I'd have to roll them up and stuff them in this blue plastic bag. And then the instructions were I have to deliver one to every home in our subdivision. So there's 200 of these. And I had to hang them on the door, and I couldn't walk through the yard. So I got this whole bag full of newspapers, and I'm walking from house to house. And, and a couple of weeks, maybe it was a couple of months, I don't actually remember, into it, I started thinking, man, I am not getting paid enough, and I, I, this is hard. Like, this is really hard work. And so I was about halfway through a route one day, and I took the remaining newspapers, probably 100 of them, and I dumped them into a ditch in someone's front yard, and it was this time of year. I covered them up with a bunch of leaves, and I thought, no one will ever know. Like, I'm done with the job for the day, and I quit. Like, I walked away from the job. Now, what I learned later was, had I not quit, I would have been fired because the boss came back around, and he saw these blue papers sticking up out of these leaves. And well, then I moved into college, right? My sophomore year of college, I was playing basketball at, um, for our college, and we're a week into practices, and uh, it was, it was kind of difficult at that time. I was recovering from torn ligaments in my ankle. My girlfriend, of kind of a long period of time, had just broken up with me, and I was dealing with um, uh, the loss of my driver's license, all right? So this, that's a whole other story. That's just the front end of that one, but... Uh, there's just a lot going on for a 19-year-old, and I actually walk into the coach's office and I say, you know what, I have way too many other things I'm focused on right now. I, I, I can't do basketball. It's way too distracting. I quit. And that was a terrible decision because that team went on to win a national championship in their division that year. And I'm like, why, why did I do that? So show of hands, let's just be really honest. If you didn't do this before, you have ever started something only to quit. And it could be any number of things, right? It was a team, it was um, a project, it was a class, or it was college altogether. It was working out. It was an exercise program, right? Or you quit a job, or you quit on a relationship, or it was another church somewhere. And there's a lot of reasons why we do that, aren't there? 
I mean, sometimes it's just that we get into something and we say, man, this is just too hard. Like, this isn't what I signed up for. Or you start to feel pressure from other people about what it is you're doing, and they convince you to give up on it. Or sometimes you look at something and you're like, man, I, I, I do not see the payoff here. Like, it is so far down the road, I just don't, I, I don't know. Or you do, you're doing something, and you're like, this, is, this isn't what I expected at all. This is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and you just quit. Well, whatever the reason is that we tend to quit certain things in our life when we don't either have enough information on the front end of what it's going to require of us, or we get into that thing and we're going, all right, I don't know if I'm going to be able to see this thing through. So when you jump into anything in your life, you need to be asking, is this really what I want to do? And two, am I going to be able to actually see it through until the end? And as we're actually going to see today, what's true about music lessons and what's true about jobs and what's true about sports can also be very true about following Jesus. And so I want us to be really sure, and, and that's what Jesus is saying today with what we're going to look at, be really, really sure that, that when it comes to following me, this is what you want to do. And ask yourself, man, can I be committed to actually see this through? So we're going to read a passage in Luke chapter 14. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Our ushers will give you one that's yours to keep. We pass out Bibles because we believe that the words contained in there can actually change your life. Now, if you can't find Luke 14, it's in the second half of the Bible on the right you can follow uh, the, the screens and we'll put the passages up there for you. While you're doing that, uh, what we've been saying in this series is that in every contract, there is usually the really, really big promise that gets your attention, and then there's the fine print. Now, let's be honest, we're not very good at reading the fine print, are we? As a matter of fact, we, we actually conducted a little bit of a, a kind of an experiment around here. On week number one of this series, we buried a line in your program. And the line in there essentially said something like, hey, if you find this, go to the info booth and claim your prize. Now, we did this all at all three campuses and only eight people, eight people have been enjoying the Starbucks gift card that they got at the info booth. And so the moral of the story is you should read your program, all right? You really should. <laughs> now, here's the good news. I got good news for all of you, all right? Here's the good news here is Jesus never did that. He never did anything like that. His teachings, and I really need you to hear this because of where we're going today, his teachings sometimes are very, very difficult, but he was always very, very clear. And he wanted you to know, and he wanted me to know, and anyone who would come along and follow him, the last thing I want you to do is to agree to something that you don't fully understand. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 14 today what he says here. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and I actually want to work backwards. So here's what Jesus says. This is Luke 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. Now, oftentimes when Jesus had his largest crowds, he had his most difficult teachings. So he turns around, and he says to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So don't begin until you count the cost. 
For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you, and they would say, well, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king in his right mind would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So... You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. That's difficult, isn't it? And so here's the summary message of what Jesus wants us to gather. Following me might get hard, and following me might cost you something, so don't quit. All right, who's with me? Like, that's his challenge. That's his appeal. And he uses an example at the end that we're all really, really familiar with in verse 28, a building project. Because maybe it was you, maybe it was a friend, right? You have some friends who decide to buy a house and you're thinking, that might be a little bit more than you can afford. But they jumped into it and then something came along in their life and happened that they never saw coming and now they just, they, they can't pay for it. Or you add in an addition, right? You put an addition on in your house. You're like, we got to make more space around here. And so you went into that and you got halfway done only to find out that the cost you were told about are a lot higher than what you expected. All right, how about this one? And maybe this goes to the wives. Your husband started a home improvement project. And he said, honey, one trip to Home Depot, and I think I'll have it. And five trips later, right? He's on, he's on the phone going, calling a contractor or a professional plumber, and now you've spent way more than you ever planned you were going to spend, Right? Well, I actually came across this, um, this uh, study done by the Journal of American Planning Association that did a study on this kind of thing, and they found that 9 out of 10, so 90% of construction projects underestimate their actual costs, and the overruns were as high as 50 to 100%. Same kind of study was done with um, IT projects, and they found very similarly, 70% of those projects were over budget and exceeded the time estimates. And so Jesus is just drawing on something that we're all very, very familiar with here to say, look, when you do that, people look at you and they say, why didn't you think that through a little bit better? Or he goes on, he says, maybe you guys could relate to this one. How about a king who's trying to decide if his army can actually take on a challenge from a larger army? Now, I don't really understand that one as, as well as probably the people hearing it, but I do remember seeing this play out in junior high. I mean, in the locker room after PE class, Steve Thomas, who's a giant by seventh grade standards, had had about all he could handle from a guy named Mike Berglund, who just would not stop running his mouth. And the giant challenged the little scrawny guy to a fight in the bathroom. And what the scrawny guy should have said was, you know, I think we should sit down and talk this out, and maybe we can t- come to some kind of an agreement. But he didn't. He didn't even think about it. He rushed right in, and then somewhere halfway through the fight, he started to think about it, but it was way too late. And I have the pictures in my mind right now. It cost him dearly. And Jesus is just trying to get us to realize that if we want to follow him, it's going to be difficult. So if you start out on this journey, make sure you put some thought into it so that you can actually finish it. And then I love the way he concludes, and I like the way verse 33 actually reads in the message version of the Bible where it says it this way. Simply put, Jesus is summing it up, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, 
whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Now, I like this wording because I think it gets to the heart of what are really the two main areas that will threaten any one of us to pull away from following Jesus. And they're actually the two areas that Jesus addressed on the front end of this teaching. So here they are. Here's the first one where Jesus says, you got to count the cost when it comes to people, right? The people in your life. And here's where the way he said it in verse 26, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your very own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, you have to understand Jesus is talking to people in the first century, right? And first century family uh, social unit is about the strongest bond you can possibly imagine. I mean, it's the social network. It's the source of financial stability. You defend the family. You support the family at all costs. When needed, you take care of them no matter what it takes. You all move in together if that's what's necessary. You defend and you support. And yeah, it's true that I think Jesus probably talks about love more than anyone else. So it's interesting here that he actually chooses the word hate. I think hate is much better understood to mean love less, all right? Or Jesus saying, look, love me more, right? By comparison, love me more. So to hate family or even yourself, might, it might not describe necessarily how you feel towards those people, but it might describe how other people perceive your behavior. So the challenge is this, right? No one in your life, including yourself, according to Jesus, can be as significant as me. Your relationship with me has to be above and beyond all others, because it's likely at some point in your life, you'll have a choice to make between following Jesus and aligning with your family. And as difficult as it may be, Jesus is saying, you need to go with me. That can cause some problems, can it? <laughs> I think some of us probably know this one from personal experience. I'm having lunch with a guy this week, and he's telling me about his girlfriend who grew up in a very religious home, not necessarily Christian. And she recently sat down with her parents to explain to them that it was her intention now, at this point in her life, to fully engage in following Jesus. And that's not at all what her parents wanted for her. So they're pulling all of their financial support for college, for living expenses, and when she graduates, she's now gonna have about $120,000 worth of debt that she wouldn't have had otherwise. I, I talked with someone else recently, and he um, came to me and he said, look, I've been sexually active with my girlfriend. We're not married. He's confessing all this to me as a way of saying, look, my desire is to honor God in this area. I wanna wait until I can share this with my wife someday. I said, well, what will happen when you tell her that? He says, well, she'll probably break up with me. So I was a youth pastor for years, and I saw this kind of thing all the time. We would have teenagers come in with a friend of theirs, jump in on church or youth events. They'd go on a summer trip with us. They'd fall in love with Jesus. They'd surrender their whole life to him. They'd come back home and they'd say, I think I need to take a next step and actually be baptized. And I don't know, we would baptize kids in a pool at a party while their parents waited in the parking lot because they just wanted to be able to not have anything at all to do with it. And then on the ride home, I'm gonna tell you why this was such a terrible decision. 
We had students go on mission trips and they want to pursue ministry as a vocation or, and their parents say, those are not the plans we have for you. And maybe you can relate in some way to that because your dad doesn't or he didn't approve, right? Or he rolls his eyes or you got a brother or a sister who's distanced themselves from you and they have a way of making you feel really, really guilty about it, don't they? Like you've betrayed the family. You've created all these problems if you just didn't love Jesus, and your grandparents, maybe they tried to shame you. Or we've got some teens in this church who are coming without their family. And they don't want them doing that. They don't want them reading their Bible. Some of you got married, right? And after the fact, you became a Christ follower. And that creates some tension, doesn't it? And here's the deal, right? Is that not everyone will approve when your life is devoted to Jesus. You might actually get cut out of the family, you might not get invited to the same events and the same parties that you used to, or you might actually have to say no to the ones you do get invited. What I really love about Jesus here is he puts it all on the front end, right? Up front. Look, you're likely going to face some heat. You're likely going to feel some pressure. You might lose a relationship. So please do the math on the front end so that if it gets difficult, you do not quit. I mean, following will cost you, I think, not just with people, but he moves right in in verse 27 to talk about our plans, right? You got to count the cost when it comes to the plans you have for your life. Here's the way he reads. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is talking to a whole group of people who've seen this before. Like, they totally understand what he's talking about. They've seen people have to literally carry their own cross, a wooden beam, walk through the town in a very public display, very humiliating. Those people were committed to the very end, and it wasn't even their choice, was it? They've seen that play out over and over and over again. And it is the most cruel form of execution you can imagine. Even the Romans who were using it wouldn't use it on their own people. It was so excruciatingly painful. So we know ultimately this is how Jesus is going to die, and yet he's inviting us to come in and join him and say, look, if need be, if you're going to follow me, if it comes to that, you might have to do the same. Now, I like how pastor and author A.W. Tozer actually writes about this because it helps me, um, it helps me um, filter it a little bit more and, and put some hands and feet on it. He says this, to be crucified first the man on the cross is facing only one direction. Second, he's not going back. And third, he has no further plans of his own. I think that description actually helps me better understand what Jesus might be asking. He says, look, you're, you're facing one direction. In other words, when, when that person's on the cross, they could not go back even if they wanted to. And I like how Jesus is using that, right? Carry your cross, meaning don't look back even if you want to. He says, look, you're not going back. In other words, you've said goodbye to everything else that came before this. And then he says, look, there's no further plans of your own, right? When a guy's on a cross, like he's, like, he's on a cross, right? Like he doesn't have any say in what happens to him. He, he's at the mercy of everyone else. Someone else is now in charge, and I think that Jesus maybe wants us to think about this in a very real literal sense, but also somewhat figurative. Let's think about it in the real literal sense for a second, that following him may actually cost you your life. 
There's a group of missionaries back in the 1900s. They earned this name, the one-way missionaries. And so what happened was a group of people would purchase one-way tickets to far-off lands or remote people groups, and then they would pack up all the belongings that they wanted to take, not in a suitcase, but they would pack them in a pine coffin. And what they were saying was two things by that. On the one hand, it served as this daily reminder for them of their commitment to do what Jesus is saying here. We're going to take up our cross. And on the other hand, they're saying, look, we're prepared to never return home again. So one way or the other, what they were doing here was saying, look, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in the place that I'm headed, one way or the other. Now, before departing, these people would write a letter, and it became known as The Last Letter. And you can actually read some of these. You can go to a website called thelastletter.org. You can read some of those examples. You can actually write one. The letter was oftentimes written inside of a Bible or in a piece of parchment. And what they were doing was they were attempting to explain why I would give up everything and everyone I love to follow Jesus to serve hurting and lost people. So as they're about ready to depart, maybe they're at port, there's a whole group of them, they've got their family, they've got their friends, they're about ready to say goodbye to their loved ones. They would take this last letter that they had written and they would give it to the father if he's there in the family with these instructions. Read this, read this at my funeral. It's kind of a very inspiring kind of a thing because I think part of what Jesus is saying here sounds a lot like that. Like if you follow me, you have to be prepared potentially, to give up your very life. And yet I also think he's saying, look, to follow me means you have to be prepared to die, essentially, to certain things in your life. In other words, like a death, I think you've got to be prepared to die to a dream or an opportunity or a certain plan you might have for your life if it means I can't follow Jesus. Because see, I think there's this myth that Many of us have believed that following Jesus should never require anything from me. It should never require someone to actually lose a job or to lose a relationship or it should not cost us financially. In fact, I think I've known people who have actually believed that following Jesus should never hurt in any way whatsoever or cost anything. That actually Jesus is here to help me. He's here to help me realize my hopes and my dreams and accomplish my plans. Because we all got plans for our life, right? I got some big plans. And some of us have some very detailed plans for family or a financial plan or career plans or uh, our plan is just comfort. How can I be the most comfortable? I think it's okay to have a plan. I think God wants you to pursue it. It's just that to carry your cross means I've got to ask another set of questions, which is, God, is there anything in my life that needs to be done differently? God, is there anything I have yet to hold loosely? God, do you have any different plans for my life than I do? Because when the plans I have for my life start to collide with what Jesus asks of me, I've got got some big decisions to make. And I love how Jesus is laying the whole thing out there for us, right? Listen, if you don't do the math on the front end, You will end up with people and you will end up with plans that will pull your allegiance away from me. I I could tell you from personal experience, when it comes to my own family, to my friends, just 
being a pastor for 20-some years, I've seen it over and over and over again. When someone quits on Jesus, it's because one of two things has happened. That someone in their life or something in their life became more important than their relationship with him. Listen, I've seen people jump in full bore, right? Like uh, uh, trusting Jesus, taking those steps of, of baptism, and, and they're excited and they're, they're full of life, and then they just drift away, and you're going, man, what, what happened? And here's what happened. They maybe started taking some heat from people, and their relationships started changing, and they were realizing there's a cost here that I hadn't fully considered. Or something happened that pitted what they wanted against what Jesus was asking, or something got really, really difficult, and they, were, they, they weren't seeing the ending they hoped Jesus would provide. And we're tempted to throw up our arms and say, well, I just don't know if it's worth it anymore. Last weekend, I had the privilege of helping a couple from our Cary Crossroads campus celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary with a vow renewal ceremony. That's them on the sides. That's me in the middle. And I'm realizing that if my wife and I are married for 50 years, we will be exactly the same age as these two people pictured here. I'm going to shrink a little bit, but uh, that's what it looks like to be married 50 years right there, to be happy and smiling. So they're presenting this whole idea to me, and we talked it through a little bit, and you know, I'm learning a little bit about their story, and they're saying, look, we, we did as much work as we could on the front end. We did pre-marriage counseling. We talked about what's it going to look like to love each other the way we want to love each other. What kinds of hopes and dreams and plans do we have for our life? And let's prepare ourselves as much as we possibly can. And let's say on the front end, man, is this what we really want? Like, are we going to be committed to this and committed to each, each other? Are we willing to do the hard work so that we can stick it out? And on their wedding day, they stood in front of a group of people like this, and they made vows and they made commitments to one another that went something like this, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death separates us. And they said to one another, I do. Now, one of the questions I had through the whole process in here was, look, how do you do that? Like, how, how, do you, how do you make it 50 years and still like each other? I mean, making it, that's an accomplishment, but actually making it and enjoying one another. And they said, well, it has not been easy, but here's what we've done. You never stop pursuing. Never. Like the way that we went after each other when we were on the front end is the way we still try to pursue each other now 50 years in. There's a lot of forgiving. There's a lot of serving. There's a lot of sacrificing. We just keep building on our relationship and we're having fun together. So I suggested, what if part of this whole ceremony, I actually say something that you guys would have had as vows at your ceremony and then you just say, I still do. And so that's what we did. And I said, look, do you intend to continue to honor and to love and to cherish? And, and we went through the whole deal. If so, say, I still do. And they said to each other, I still do. And that's remarkable to me that after you've been through it for 50 years, listen, on the front end, you try to collect as much information as you can. But listen, we didn't really know what we were getting into, did we? 
But to stand in front of each other after five decades and go, I know how hard it was. I know how difficult it was. I know, I know what it takes. And I'd still be willing to do it again. At the end of the ceremony, by the way, they're still having fun. They wanted to walk out to a song from Dirty Dancing. <laughs> I've had the time of my life. So they walk down off the steps and they got their arms around each other and they're dancing down the aisle on their way out the back. And it was just, it was so inspiring because I think it's the picture of not only on the front end, but also on the back end to say, this is what it looks like to pursue a relationship with Jesus. I mean, we said that in, in week number one, that the better idea of thinking what it means to follow Jesus is this phrase, to come after Right? When you come after like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a, a spouse, it's, it's the language Jesus says, look, pursue me like you would do that. Don't stop pursuing. And listen, some of us are just on the front end, right? We're starting out following Jesus and you're hearing what it takes. You're hearing what it takes. You need to hear this. Salvation is free. What Jesus has done for you and your acceptance of that, salvation is free. Following will cost you something. So do the math now, right? Do the math now so that you do not quit. The rest of us in the room, like me, it's, it's been a while, right? And you've been following, and maybe we could just kind of join forces today for a little bit of a renewal and just say, look, following Jesus has not been easy, but it's been worth it. I still do. I still do.